Hey guys, this is Nicholas Karakitsanis. I'm the DP on Cruella the Movie, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Nicholas Karakitsanis, Director of Photography for Cruella. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm happy to be there. Now, there is so much to talk about with Cruella. I just finished it this morning. I absolutely loved it, and uh, I cannot wait to dive into all the things. Plus, we got a, a ton of audience questions, too, so people are excited to hear from you. But before we get there, I just want to mention our sponsor, MZ, Education for Creatives. Find out more at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, and follow us on your favorite podcast app. Uh, search Go Creative Show, hit subscribe, and you will never miss an episode. In addition, we've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, Nicholas, what a fun movie to be part of. Um, I, first of all, I loved your work on I, Tonya. That movie was so great. And for anybody that hasn't seen that, you absolutely need to see that as well. Um, you've got a great catalog of films, and Cruella, my God, just so good. Um, what a great project to be part of. You must be so pleased. Uh, well, I am. I, I'm, I'm very pleased that I was allowed to be part of this uh, team and, and again, team up with uh, Craig Gillespie, who was the man behind Itonia, um, which I thought was a great experience. Uh, not easy to shoot, but uh, I, I loved it from start to, to the end. And uh, the film obviously was something I loved too. And, uh, and, Cruella was the second uh, volume or chapter in, in that cooperation. It's it, so second chapter in that uh, collaboration, but are there any similarities? Did you pull any lessons you learned or, or kind of cinematography techniques that you learned on I, Tonya? Did you bring any of that into Cruella? I mean, yes, obviously, uh, Craig and I got to learn each other on the set of Itonia because we didn't work together before. Uh, that was the very first thing we did. And by how things went, we never got to work after Itonia and before Cruella uh, started. Um, so it, it, it is something, Craig is a very super well-prepared, super visual. He really, really, really knows and understands his script and the film. And he really cares the most, I would say, about the storytelling and the characters. Everything spitballs from from that core uh, thing, like the script and the characters. And um, so, Corella was again, I thought, a very strong script. Uh, was well, super well written by, let's say, the end um, uh, writing of Tony McNamara was was brilliant. I thought. And so that energy of Itonia uh, was still there in, in Cruella. Uh, and I think what we uh, try to bring in, because obviously there was some kind of Itonia vibes in Cruella, also in the script writing. Um, yeah. I think we really want to have that high pace, high energy, um, obviously a lot of music. Uh, Craig loves to work with music, um, which often has already been chosen up front and sometimes it changes afterwards. But yeah, it's, it's the, the high energy connected to uh, a strong storytelling, I would say, and a very strong character-driven visual narrative. Yeah, I think the energy in Cruella is definitely noticeable right from the very, very beginning. You know right away you are going on a ride. I want to talk about that sense of energy and what you are doing in the cinematography to give it that feeling of constantly moving so much energy. Talk to me about how you are achieving this energetic feel. I, I would say it's a combination. I mean, the script is fast. That's where it starts. The lines yeah. of the characters are fast. It's like almost like a ping pong game of, of speedballing lines. And so it's already in the script. It's in the line. So that allows to, or Craig, uh, to cut fast also without feeling like it's like it's uberly cut or it's like too many cuts. It doesn't feel like it because the lines of the characters are already written like that. So that helps us. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. And then 
to help the, the energy, there's a lot of forward pushes with the camera. There's a lot of static cam work, and it's it, it always adds to, to emphasize moments, energy, beats, whatever is that scene at that moment. Um, the music helps. Uh, so all these things, all these layers uh, of editing, music, camera moves, everything is there. So it's not one spe- specific thing. It's really a, a layered dynamic, I would say. And, and it's something... Craig is so well uh, prepared and, and, and knows so well what he wants um, that also you have to know uh, he likes to edit on set. Um, so every take, according, I mean, we're, we're shooting one, one setup and then we'll go to the next one and these two setups will be uh, already edited together. So he knows already the pace of the, of the sequence. So the more we shoot, the more he edits it on, on set live. Um, and, and maybe already with music, if we have something already, um, and it really helps to, to on the set, uh, finalize already the rhythm of the, of the scene. And also the actors can see what's happening. And it's a very, um, uh, everything is within energy and everyone knows or is allowed. I mean, Craig is, is something I, I like that. Um, he, he likes to show the key people who needs to know, the um, how the scene is evolving while shooting it already so everyone understands what's happening and there's no um chaos in that sense i would say so it's it's very uh greg is 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 a very um let's say technical shooter in that sense how do you mean no chaos are you saying that there there's potential for chaos when you have so much action well but that's the thing it's double-edged in the sense like um, Craig likes to shoot very fast because he wants to be, he prefers not to, the, the, he, he likes to keep the energy on the set. So, so there's no, um, dozing off or whatever. So there, there's no slow moment on his sets. We're really shooting fast, uh, mm. but never compromising. It's interesting to know maybe that, uh, Craig and I, because I love it too. And we really connect in that sense. We love to shoot single camera. So mm. although we do have multiple cameras waiting in the back room on the crane, dolly, steady cam, whatever you want, on actors, we'll always shoot one camera at a time. Never two cameras shooting long lens, uh, wide lens, or whatever it is. Um, because What do you like about he, that? Because the performance gets much better. The performance is way more focused. An actor knows which lens it is and how he has to direct is, is, is focused on the other actor. It's not like try to cheat a bit more wide open or, or, or cheat it closer to the lens or whatever. It's often with multiple cameras, you will have to cheat something. There's always one camera that's just not really where it should be. So we prefer to shoot um, in between setups as fast as we can be ready for the next one. So we win time to actually shoot a 40 mil and a 29 or whatever. So if we have a couple of sizes within the same angle, we will do it separately. We will shoot one lens, do seven, eight takes or whatever it takes and go to the next one, do seven or eight takes and go to the next lens. And it's much better for the actor uh, because the performance is way more focused and it's less uh, about, yeah, we'll just, we're just catching bits and pieces. It's really about, Give us the best performance you can. And, and, and I really, really appreciate that. Are you finding that actors like having that focus, like having to do the performance over and over again, maybe sort of honing it a bit? Are you finding that they enjoy that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll speak with the, the experience that I have working with Craig, because obviously, depending on directors, if you go too many takes or, or very complex sequence. Maybe it's, it, it can be annoying or it can be dragging for an actor, but for Greg, it's more about, and that's how I feel uh, about it. Uh, it's about finding or giving the actor space to, to, to play the role, to improvise, to ad lib if necessary. Greg really loves to, to in a couple of um, takes achieve what he wants with the actor um, and if we have time, we'll, he will always give one or two tries to the act like, what do you think you, you would like to different or whatever. So it's really, um, I think for actors, um, there's a lot of 
I'm not saying freedom, but he, he wants them to be really connected to the film and to give uh, him ideas or he will give them ideas. And it's a really nice um, synergy between the two, I would say. Now, that's great for the actors to have that ab ability to play. And I imagine, I mean, I'm certainly not an actor, but I imagine that it's nice to, you know, get to the point where you've given the director what you wanted, but then you have the opportunity to try new things and play around and, and give your interpretation of this scene and this character. Does the same hold true for you filming this, shooting this? Are you feeling like, no, okay. So talk to, <laughs> yeah, talk to me about that. So do you have that same level of freedom, let's call it, to play around a little bit? How does it work for you? Um, well, I think it's up to me and, and, and my crew, uh, being uh, the, the, the gaffer, the grips, the focus puller, I must say they have to be high level in the sense that they have to give me and, and, and Craig the, 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 the fastest setup time that we can. It's almost like Formula One changing a tire. Like when we're changing a setup from a, a shot, not like to a close-up, but like a reverse or reversing the angle, it's, it, I take pride in going not as fast as I can. I, I'll go as fast as I can protecting the, the quality of the lighting, not, not jeopardizing anything. Uh, and if I feel like towards Craig, this is going too fast, give me five minutes more or whatever, um, I'll, I'll tell him that and he'll respect it. So that's great. Uh, but but Craig is, is a hungry director in that sense. But I think it's good and it pushes me because I knew that already from Itonia. I had to discover it on, on Itonia. I think the very first shooting day of Itonia with kids and eyes and shooting 35 and on all that stuff, we did like 45 setups or something. It was like insane. And we had a very wow. small crew and a small budget. But to be oh, no, honest- wait, On the first day you're saying? You yes, did 45 that was, setups? was completely insane. How is that Inse possible? And again, single lens, not, not like five cameras shooting at the same time. Because we like to, I mean, Craig is also some, he's laser sharp in the sense like he knows what he needs and he's not going to stay on the setup if he says, okay, we have it, we'll, we'll move on. But yeah. he'll move on when he has it. If it's not good yet, we'll, we'll go again. It's not like, uh, I never, because it's weird. I've never shot TV and I don't want to shoot television. Um, Why? In the idea that it's just shooting fast, cheap and making content. I don't want to be, even if it's not the case, not always the case, I don't want to feel it on the set that that's the case actually. So with Craig shooting fast, I really feel he, he wants to shoot fast because he wants to make the film rich and layered and not just free content or whatever. And, and, mm -hmm. and so that was like Tony, it was fast and all that stuff, but fun and, and it's hard and you have to work hard. And, and it's, 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 uh, it's a thing as a crew, you have to be able to carry it. But, um, uh, on, on Disney film, I actually asked him, it's funny, uh, like one month within the prep, which was like three months and a half of prep. I asked him like, how do you see us shooting this? Are we going to go, let's say Itonia style where it was really uh, a heavy pace, uh, or high pace, uh, shooting, or will I have a bit more time to light it? Because it's way bigger sets and it's way more people and crowds and all that. So it's a much more complicated uh, setup. And he said to me, like, no, 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 you'll have your time. Which meant, like, you'll have 30 seconds more to do to, 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 to your work. But to be honest, uh, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. But it's it's tough. And, and, and it's not, and, and I'm honest about it, it's not easy for the crew because in the end, I had to request to my crew members to uh, to be as good as they can be in their profession, and focusing has to be spot on from the from every take, more or less, because we're not gonna sit forever shooting this thing. And I like to shoot wide open, mm. um, so there's no not a lot of uh, leeway there. And but I must say, we, we shot in England at Shepperton uh, with amazing crew, which everyone is so highly skilled that. To be honest, it wasn't an easy shoot, but I thought we, we, we might manage very well and, and it was a, a good thing. But 
again, I only do this because I feel it gives Craig and the actors more time to play and to discover this, the, the scene and, and the acting. Although Craig is very already focused on what he wants, but will still give us as much as possible time to, to maybe discover other stuff. Well, you seem like you really thrive and excel under pressure. You seem like you, both of you and Craig sort of like this pace and this momentum and with a movie like Cruella, I mean, it's so much bigger than I, Tanya, so much more complicated than I, Tanya, like you've, mm. you've mentioned, we can see as, as just viewers. Was there a particular scene that really pushed you guys to the limits? That was really the most challenging uh, for whatever reason? Um, I, I, what do I you think, think, I mean, look, um, I think for me, there, there, there's, you can see it in two ways. Like, on a lighting level, because I'm a DP, so I'll talk about lighting for a second. Um, on a lighting level, for me, this was obviously my biggest, the biggest setups that I had to light and all that stuff. Um, but it just meant I was allowed to think bigger and to scale up my ideas. So suddenly it's not a house that you have to light at night with one or two light boxes. It's a, it's a gigantic castle with, with a lot of, um, uh, uh, surroundings around it. And, and then suddenly it's five or six light boxes, which are gigantic builds. And, and it's like uh, two days of pre-lighting or whatever, or you're on stage and you have to completely fill five stages of, of, of riggings in, in, in top light about the stages and all that stuff. But to be honest, these things were not really complicated because I knew I had really good crew and my gaffer, uh, Chuck Finch, who was like at that time, 73, 74, uh, amazing gaffer with like 30, maybe 40, 45 years of experience. So whatever mm. I was thinking, how, how crazy or stupid or big it was, I knew Chuck would always handle because he's seen anything anyway. So there was no, not one second of fear or doubt that my crew could handle this. Um, I almost felt like I was in Chuck's crew because he has so much more knowledge than me and I loved it. Um, cool. But um, the challenges for me, and I, I guess maybe for Craig also, although Craig did do the bigger Disney films already and I was more the rookie in that sense, um, those big ballroom sequences where a lot of things are happening in parallel montages, like something is happening in, in a basement and then it's in, in, in the back rooms and it's outside and it's in, in a, uh, a security guard room and it's in the main ballroom. There's a lot of things happening at the same time. And that's, I think, storytelling wise for me and for Craig, uh, the more where the things were more complex, like how do you keep that pace going and the storytelling is still going and what what you're seeing makes sense and it's not just random stuff that doesn't actually make sense or doesn't matter um so i think for me that was really like making these things the 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 more complicated uh, scenes uh, with so many people so many beats to tell uh I, I would say that was for me the most challenging ones and to be honest because craig is such a hard-working director he already prepped these things way before I was even there on, on uh, prepping the shoot. He already had done storyboards and, and we, we, we went over uh, with him uh, uh, through these storyboards. And then we, uh, it's interesting because those storyboards are made before the, 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 a lot of these locations are actually built. So then oh, wow. you're, you're, you're actually building these locations and then, you're building these locations according to the shots that you need and that you want and, and that the story asks for. And it's a very interesting thing because it's like a, a clockwork that has to come together and match and, and the whole thing has to click together um, because you're designing these gigantic um, sets with windows and lights and fixtures and, and passages and ways. And uh, someone looks at the door, but it has to look at the, at the, at the angle that the story or the script tells you where, where to look at. So it's very intricate. But again, uh, we had Fiona Crombie, who was an amazing designer or, or production designer. Uh, her team was insane. The, 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 that work was for me, the best that I've ever seen. And, and, but it's that was sometimes a bit scary. Like you were asking things three months up front. Like I need that window to be there, but a bit higher because I think the angle would be nicer. But you have to think about these things 
three or four months up front and that thing doesn't exist. You just see drawings of it. And, and, and that's interesting, but, and, and I think for me that that was the biggest challenges uh, in that sense. So that's interesting. So you're, you're planning your lighting and your shooting based on just drawings without having sets built. Now you were saying this could be months in advance while the sets are being built. Do you have an opportunity to make those fine tune adjustments? I mean, yes, you can. But, and, and to add on to that, actually, I have to pre-light these sets before they're built. So, so <laughs> I have to crazy Nicholas. No, How but, is but possible. No, but but it's just a matter of. I mean, I'm not saying every set. Like I remember um, the the Baroness workshop uh, where everyone works, all the designers are working. It's like a. Uh, it, it was that designed, is my favorite set, by the way. Well, thank you. We had to build I it love twice. We had to build it twice. Uh, Why? Well, uh, as you know, we, we, we had, during the prep, uh, Emma Stone had an injury. And that set was like, I would say, 85 to 90% built. So how do you build that set? Uh, it's like all um, walls. And it's like a it's like a courtyard, like an exterior yeah. courtyard, except that there's a glass ceiling uh, on top of it. And that glass ceiling, uh, because such a big, massive piece, has to be held by actual real uh, iron um, pillars. And there's many of them, and they're actual pillars. So you have to imagine it's a set, but it's actually built that well that it's actually the real deal. I mean, it's a real, real location, actually. But because it's all glass, we could not build the set and then have lights raised to the ceiling. So we had to raise the light before we could start to build the set. So these lights, we had to, so that lighting has to be done up front. Then they built and finished the set. And then we heard that uh, Emma Stone had an injury, Mm. which we had to push to shoot for like four weeks or something. I can't remember precisely. But because of there's a uh, how do you say like um, a shortage of studio space, film studio space oh. in London because there's so Did much shooting going on. Did you have to tear on. it down? Did you have to tear it down for another project? Oh what my happened god, is, that's heartbreaking. What happened is because of the push, the set was uh, I mean it was almost finished. Not not all the details, but like the the the, the big builds were finished and and for big uh, part also pre-lit, um, we had to push and we lost the, the, the stage because of it. So we, we had to tear it down, move it to oh another studio God. and rebuild and relight and the whole thing. Look, it, it happens. It, I know it, it was so heartbreaking. I mean, for me, to be honest, it's fine. But especially to the, to the set builders who did, again, such an amazing job. And then they have to rebuild the whole thing. It's, uh, yeah. What I loved about that set in particular is that because it was the glass ceiling and essentially a courtyard that just was inside, mm. you had the ability to do all types of uh, times of day. So you got to play in that room at all different times of day. You lit it in a variety of ways. You kind of had like the um, the workday lighting where everybody's mm. in there hustling, bustling. You had that kind of night, more intimate lighting. You also had mm. a fashion show there too. So there was so much going on there and it was such a versatile set that felt fresh and different every time we went into it. Um, I just love it. You. That must've been such <laughs> a great, just like canvas to kind of light. No, no, no. It was amazing. And, and that's it. I mean, it's the fun and the challenge of it because you're building these sets knowing that they will have to be lit differently each time again and again for, like you said, all these different situations. Um, and it's fun, but it, it, I know it's going to be fast. You, you won't have a lot of time to do it. So it's, it's something that, 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 in, in my mind, these, my, my mind never stopped working. Like, okay, how am I going to, change it up and make it different looking and, and all these things. On the other hand, the, the sets were so rich uh, and so beautiful that almost every lighting that I was doing just worked. And again, that's uh, Fiona's work, which I can only say. Thank you, Fiona. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. Another scene I wanted to talk to you about is the um, Corella's kind of outdoor concert scene, basically, mm -hmm. around the fountain. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just such a fun moment in the show and really supports the fact that, you know, there's 
both you and the director have that love of music. Your your two movies together just jam packed with it, and it it just felt so so different and kind of uh, it, it's Disney has a history of music being an essential part of their storytelling. And I think mm. you guys did such a unique job of using it here. And that concert scene is one of what I think the best uses because it's live. It's not just the soundtrack. You're actually using mm. it. And it was just a great way to show the differences between the type of, you know, party slash fashion show that um, that one character has and then the mm. type that this new Cruella fashion designer has. And it just, it was a great way to show the differences between the characters. But it also felt a little bit evil, a little bit mean. It was dark. Mm. It was scary. It had all those elements. Talk to me about lighting and shooting that scene. Well, actually, it's interesting. I mean, in general, I'll, I'll quickly talk about how we try to differentiate um, the uh, Cruella's character and the Baroness, which is her nemesis yeah. in, in this uh, story. Um, so Cruella's world um, is like shabby London 70s, the punk sequ- scene. And it's all about uh, makeshift stuff and 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 rehashing stuff and and not having any money and all these things. So, in and the Baroness is more like super lush, expensive, uh, luxurious. All these things, big palaces, big castles, big rooms. Everything is big. It's monumental. It's very very high end. So for me, visually to differentiate it, I'm not a big fan to differentiate it with colors. Um, so what I want to do. Um, was to shoot all of Corel's world on 35. So we shot everything digitally. That's for one thing. But for Corella, we decided to use uh, the Super 35, just Alexa Mini, shot spherical, and everything's handheld or on a Steadicam. So it, there's movement, but it's a bit more edgy. It, we're not overdoing it, but it's it's a bit more lively. It's a bit more organic, and it has a bit more texture to it. For the Baroness, we went uh, um, the Alexa 65, so it's a big sensor, which we shot open gate. With Corella, we didn't shoot open gate. We shot Super 35, just to make the difference as big as we could. And we shot everything, crane, dolly, or Steadicam following stuff. So, And because 65 gives me that depth of field uh, or uh, the viewing angle, which is... I can go on a 35 mil, which is a very wide lens for a 65. And my everything, all the architecture will stay straight, will be very serene, very sturdy. And I want to give the, the Baroness a very heavy, sturdy, uh, there's no fun. The, everything is just meticulous. Everything is just as it should be. There's no surprise. And uh, so in that sense, that's how we want to differentiate the, the, the looks of the two. And again, it's not like overly present. I'm not going to say it's like the obvious thing that's happening, but if you look at it again, you will see that that's how these two worlds are, are disconnected. And to come back to the concert, I think there you really see it because obviously the lighting, uh, because it starts first with the Baroness fashion show and it evolves into Cruella's fashion show, which is completely the opposite. The Baroness is very like nicely lit and everyone's with chairs around it. And, and then, uh, so it, it's a very classic way of how fashion shows used to be done. And then we cut to the Cruella's, uh, fashion show, which is, um, all RGB, uh, tanks and bass lights. And, and it, and it does a lot of colors. So I only use the, the colors that were used back then. There, there's no purples. There's no, uh, electric blues. There's nothing, um, uh, digital or lead like, uh, lighting. Um, and so for, for that setup, everything was shot, uh, handheld, obviously, because it's her world. Um, and then the, we, on, for that sequence, because there was so much going on and it's less about acting, but more about energy and crazy. So, uh, we had, I think two more operators at night, um, uh, who were catching bits and pieces. And I was the one who was on the, on the uh, runway kept doing, the everything with uh amazon and um the energy is raw and it's it's we we did rehearse the the um, all the dance moves up front on, on the stage uh where we tried some camera moves just with an iphone just finding angles that we like uh of course it's just in a black box there's nothing else to see so you have to imagine what it's going to yeah. be on stage because it's all uh 
put more high and all these things. So there's a, the water fountain and, and there's the discovery and all these things. Um, and then, uh, so on, on, on that stage, uh, with all these, uh, bar lights, because that wouldn't be enough to, to really light the scene. I had a big, um, uh, light box with actually led light, but all programs. So it would only be, uh, solid colors like RGB more or less. Mm. And, and, and these, and that box would do the whole runway, uh, which Chuck Finch uh, did again, an amazing job. And then we had some, uh, Wendy lights, backlighting and all these things. Um, but, uh, again, these setups, because I like to give Craig the possibility to shoot 360 and not say, we're only shooting this angle. And if we do the reverse, I have to relight the whole thing. That's not going to fly. So yeah. um, everything is, is good to just do 360 degree more or less. And, and, and as, as, as much as I can do it. Sometimes some angles are not pretty and not good. Uh, Craig has a great eye and he will be kind to me to not use it. Um, but it's, it's, it's something we, uh, yeah, we, we, that's, that's how we did it. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And I didn't notice the change from 35 to 65 between the Baroness and Cruella. Now I'm curious, did mm. you, did you use 35 throughout the entire storyline for, um, uh, Estella into Cruella as well, or was it just Cruella? No, we, we, we use it also for Estella because for me, it's the same world. Uh, and, and it's the same, um, it's the same character surrounding her. It's the same interior. So for me, that, that, that stayed connected to, to her and, and the Baroness was a very, very different world. Yeah. What I did notice was the handheld. I've noticed that the, it was a lot of movement everywhere, even in, um, the Baroness's world, but it was more elegant. She had the more elegant crane moves, the slow, not a lot of shake. Everything was just smooth and nice. Um, she had the big wide shots. Um, Cruella, I mean, Cruella certainly had wide shots. So the rules were broken, you know, the whole time, but oh, on, for the most part, a lot more handheld with, um, Cruella and Estella than with the Baroness. And I thought that was a really interesting choice because it just felt a little grittier. It didn't, it didn't feel as polished, you know, and that made sense to me. No, for sure. And to be honest, it's actually funny. I, on, on, on this type of movie, which, uh, to be honest, I don't even know what the budget is, but it's high enough to say that you can do more or less every, everything you want. Um, mm. And my hopes prepping the film was to shoot the same idea, 35, 65, but shooting on celluloid on film. Um, and so with the grain texture, I could have differentiated even more. Um, and I think to be honest, if you see it on the big screen, you will see more difference, uh, even with the digital output. But um, now it's a bit more, if you see it on, let's say, Disney Plus or whatever, like uh, on a streaming platform, um, that difference will be, in that sense, smaller. But um, anyway, the, 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 the discussions that we, because we did shoot some tests on film and, and it all looked pretty. And, and for me and Craig, it was obvious that shooting film was better. But the 65 film is, uh, except for the cost, it's also, it's a bigger system. It's a slower system. Um, and decisions are made differently. And, um, and also the running time obviously is a bit different. Um, so that's something that we had to let go. I could have chosen to, let's say, shoot the whole thing on 35, but I really kept that idea, the concept of separating the characters with different sensor sizes, uh, make more, uh, of an impact storytelling wise to me. So I, I let go of the film, uh, in, in, in still keeping the, the capturing format different. That was more important to me. Let's take a quick moment and talk about MZ education for creatives. Now, what I love about MZ is I am an MZ pro member. And basically what that means is you have access to their entire catalog of high quality video-based filmmaking education and all sorts of topics that we all want to learn more about directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, 
and more. And what's so great is when you are an MZ Pro member, you kind of treat MZ as almost like a Netflix for education, which is good for me because, you know, yes, you can buy individual courses and that's still a great way to do it. But like, if you're anything like me, I mean, I want to learn, you know, I, I certainly want to hone my craft in directing and editing and stuff, but you know, I'm not a colorist at all, but I want to learn about it, but I don't, you know, I, I don't need to like go through courses and courses and courses. I just want to kind of dabble in it. And when you're an MZ Pro member and you can just have that flexibility, you can play in all these different fields and learn just a little bit more in all of these skills. And that's what I love most about being an MZ Pro member. So that's why I recommend it to you. And you can learn more at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. But don't forget, when you are at checkout, use coupon code GCS20 and you will get 20% off your purchase, GCS20. Now, the courses are really interesting, and that's certainly one thing, but the teachers are just so good on MZ, and the quality of the training courses is just really high-end. Um, you've got Vincent LaFerre on there, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom. We actually had Philip Bloom on the show to talk about one of his courses. Um, Tom Cross, the editor of La La Land and Whiplash, does a course there. So it's like we're talking about people that are working at high levels, really working in the industry and teaching you their craft. So it's, I just absolutely love it. So you guys should check it out for yourself at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, MZ, Education for Creatives. I was just talking to Polly Morgan, the um, director of photography for Quiet Place 2 a couple days ago, mm. and they shot that on film. And she was telling me that it would take like days to get dailies back just because of where they shot. They had to ship it out to their place to get the dailies back. I'm thinking like, oh my God, just... I would be so nervous about not having instantaneous, you know, real dailies that I could base my, you know, decisions on for the next day. Mm. Um, ha so I, I think, you know, I, certainly I can understand the appeal of shooting on film, but it seems like digital is just so much easier, especially for a quick, the type of workflow that you guys have. I know, but to be honest, easy on set doesn't mean better on a big screen. Um, yeah. Easy and convenient, I get it. I will always defend shooting film. Um, I shot a feature film just after Itonia. We shot it in Senegal in Africa. We almost had to wait a week and a half for the rushes uh, every day. So it was crazy. But let's be honest. We, I mean, I, I'm lucky. I, I, I started still shooting film, 35, 16, whatever. So that's, that's where I come from. Um, and yes, film can have its trouble. Uh, that that's uh, that's obviously the case, or can be the case. Uh, on the other hand, I think um, we're all professional enough and 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 good in our jobs that our uh, I don't think we will really do big mistakes unless the the I know maybe X-ray shipping or the the, the labs. Something goes wrong. It happens. It's it's unfortunate, but to be honest, um, it's it's not the reason why not to shoot on film. the mm -hmm. the The reasons to shoot on film is what happens on the big screen. What ha what you see afterwards. The and I think um, I love film for close ups, medium shots, everything that's with actors with them. I think that's where the gold is for film. The colors I obviously love. And it's weird because technically colors have a limitations on film compared to digital. But for some reason, uh, and I think that's one of the flaws to me of digital cameras, we're way too much concentrating on, on uh, the resolution, while I think the gold in digital cameras is the higher uh, bitrate, the, the, the color compression. Um, the higher that goes... And the better it's treated, the more real or voluptuous it's going to look like. Resolution doesn't do that. It just makes it sharp. That's actually, for me, uh, looking at the 35 and the 65, I much more prefer to, to see the 35 rushes of Corella than the 65 because it's really, really harsh on actors. Uh, it's just sharp. Shooting 65 on film, it's a super voluptuous image quality but it's so rich and it's so dense and it's it's beautiful on skin but 
digital just adds more sharpness and more and more. It's shooting 65 digital and 65 film. It's the complete opposite of what it actually does to a face or a, a color rendition. So uh, it's the same format, but it's in terms of picture output and quality and feel, it's the complete opposite of each other. And it's interesting. Not a lot of people talk about it. Um, I own a 65 film camera, so I've shot a bit on 65. I'm not saying a full feature film, but it's the best format ever. It's, it is the most luscious format ever, but shooting a film on set. I mean, it's, it's, it's the oldest discussion where we've been doing the last 10, 15 years, I guess. For me, I will always defend film because the colors are more, uh, you, you can actually make colors more rich and more popping on film without being like a digital 3D print or 3D looking like image. Um, yeah. So I would almost say like, let's say comedies, like normal, nice, cool, whatever um, uh, comedies, I would say don't shoot them on digital, shoot them on film because Comedies always have that bright picture with lots of colors and whatever. And it's, it's, it's a bit more flat light because that's what it is in general. I'm not saying everything, obviously, sure. but I, I think shooting on film, we make this film look ageless and will be good forever. And shooting them on digital with a Sony camera or whatever, like a digital looking uh, camera. I'm not dissing Sony, by the way, I'm just saying something. Um, I, I don't think this thing will survive well in five years from now already. And, and, and I think um, if my, my thing with digital, I, I love actually the smaller format because it doesn't give me that super high risk quality because it's, it's not what we want. Actually, I don't think it enhances humanity and, and, and characters. I, I do think um, film and smaller sensors and not so high risk creates a separate version of the reality that we know because film should not be reality should film should be a storytelling device. And it's, it's a different medium. We're not shooting a um, interview for uh, a, a news outlet or whatever. It shouldn't look like the real deal. It shouldn't look like this happened today. That's not what mm -hmm. film is. I don't think so. A cinematic universe is a universe. It's a different universe. It's not our daily reality. There you go. Well, also, you're, I mean, this is, Cruella is a period piece, so you are representing, you know, the 60s and 70s, so I can see uh, a natural instinct to want to shoot film. Can I actually add one more element to the photography? Yeah, because um, one of the last elements that we did, um, so Tom Poole at Company Tree did their color grading, and he's an amazing guy. I, oh, it, yeah. He's, he's uh, everything that he does, uh, it's, it's, Anyway, it's really good. So I'm a big fan. And um, so when we, we started to, uh, to talk about grading this film, because I wanted to shoot it on film, but it didn't happen. So what I proposed to Craig uh, Gillespie, the director of Perilla and Antonio, um, we decided to do a shootout of the whole film, which was shot digitally, uh, a shootout to um, acquisition stock. And I don't know if that... Hmm. If, if that makes any sense. So what happened yeah, is there's explain a, that. What does that mean? So there is a, a, a lab, a film lab in Belgium, which for some reason is the only one who does it. And, um, I've been using their technique for like eight, nine years by now on commercials mainly. And so they, for some reason they, they have, uh, their rig set up so that you can actually choose the film stock. So, but not print film, which is, ISO three or five. So there's, there's no texture or whatever. So that's what you normally use to make print film for cinema projection. Hmm. They are allowing us to use a, a, the acquisition stock. Acquisition stock is what you put in a camera on set. So it would be 50 daylight or hundred daylight or 250 D or 500 T. So these are the, 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 the basic film stocks that you have from Kodak. And each stock has, uh, they call it speed, so that's 50D or 100T, whatever. And it means that 50D is, is, is a film. It's slow. It needs more light because it's meant for daylight use, for exterior uh, daylight use. And it has basically no gray, more or less. Uh, 
you go to the opposite, that's 500T, and it's made for interior night stuff or whatever, and it's like low-light situations, and that's way more grainy. I mean, way more, it's grainier, let's put it like this. And in between, it's just a variant of these grains, and also a bit of different color variants. But what it gives you is the, you can have that film. So let's say you have a film, we have got uh, Corella together, the whole edit digitally goes to that lab and he prints it back to film. He develops it. So it becomes a chemical thing. It's not a projection wow. that's refilmed from a wall where it's a real uh, written in the neck with a laser and then processed and then rescanned. And that's what you get back. And then you would grade from there. So what happens, it's like a chemical marriage between the digital and the analog world, which is great. It's, it's a solution. So so I just want to make sure I want to make sure it's clear. So you're saying that your colorist took the digital files, printed them on film, scanned them in and have new digital files that are scans from this. What, what did you call it? The name of the film stock? What did you call it? Or the, the name of the process? It's well, that's the thing. Uh, Acquis- I don't know how to acquisition co- something, right? Well, acquisition stock is what you put in the camera. So but oh, I don't I know, see, there's, I see, I see. Okay. there's a name to it. I, I, I don't know but what the official name, but that's, but am I right on the process? That is what it, what it was. That is what it is. But COVID came in, which wasn't a nice situation, as we know. Yeah. And it didn't allow us to actually do it. I mean, we we had launched all the tests just before COVID happened. Um, and by the time we got the, the results back, we were already in COVID, meaning we did all night, day, exteriors, whatever, different characters, because the parents was going to have the 50-day stock, uh, Corel was going to have the 500-T stock, all these things, just to have more grain. And so so we had all these tests done, and they came back. By the time they came back, um, the whole world was shut down, more or less. So I couldn't travel to the States. I couldn't, uh, Craig couldn't travel because I live in Brussels, in Belgium. Uh, Tom Poole um, operates from New York, and yeah. Craig Gillespie uh, is LA-based. So... We couldn't travel. We couldn't see each other. And I could only see these tests on a small screen back home, compressed. It wasn't a, a, a very good way to, to, to work properly and to, to make proper decisions because for a Disney film, it's kind of a big deal to work like that. So yeah. what happened is we had to ditch the idea, although we had all the tests, but Tom used the test to see how all the digital files were transcripted to, to the neg and rescan and how the highlights reacted, how the midtones reacted. So the whole color grading was based upon these tests. So it, oh, wow. it, it again became uh, a weird um, compromise because my idea would have to be that negative process scanned back and that would be the film. But because of the, the situation we were in, we couldn't make it work. Um, and that's very unfortunate, but look, that's what it is. And, 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 but look again, Tom did an amazing job. I'm super happy. And, uh, and that's what it is. So, but that, that's the, the, the backstory of the, of the look. Well, do you think that that is a process now that you've seen the tests and it, it, I'm assuming you were very happy with what you saw or correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like that's a good compromise for cinematographers like yourself that, wanted to shoot film, but just w- weren't able to for a variety of reasons. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I've been using it for a long time now because actually what happened is this lab in Belgium had this system in place to, because they work a lot with like um, uh, artists, like who would, let's say, shoot a movie or whatever on, on, on small video cameras. And they would need like a, they call it like a, a museum loop, you know, or gallery loop, like a 16 mil or 35 loop. So it's, it's a three minute loop with some digital footage and they put it back onto film and, they, and it's just like a repeating loop of film in, in a projector. And that's stuff that you would see in an art gallery or a museum. Um, sure. and, and I have a couple of friends who, who use that process, but the idea was to have the digital file, put it on film and that's it. And then I was like, but wait a minute. That's a cool thing because now I can also rescan that process and make it digital again. And that becomes uh, that weird intermediate uh, process. 
So I called the guys at the lab, and I think that was like eight years ago. The very first time I used it was on our Coca-Cola commercial with John Hillcoat. And uh, we shot the whole thing digitally and then um, did the whole process like that. And and that was like a Super Bowl commercial uh, with the national anthem with lots of people singing in different languages. Um, that was the first time that I used it. Um, and then I used it with different directors. And I know it started to travel, I guess, um, uh, word by mouth or how do you call it? Um, and, and it's funny, actually, because... Years later, I I was talking to a director and a uh, commercial director, and he was asking me like, we "We're talking about shooting film or whatever." And then he told me like, he told me like, "Ah, oh, but you know, on this one we can't shoot it on film, but maybe we can use that process that they have at the mill in London." I said, "What do you mean? Yeah, they they print back to film and then they rescan it." And I was like, "What do you mean the mill does it too?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I said, "But then he meant like, but what do you mean does it too?" I said, "Well." I'm doing this for a couple of years now with this lab in Belgium. And then the post-production guy from the mill said, yeah, yeah, but we're sending it to Belgium. So the mill offers it, but it's still the lab in Belgium. So that process became a thing. And actually, you know what? Um, The best version of it that I've seen uh, until now, and there might be others, uh, you remember that short a film it's like a 15 minute film with uh childish uh, gambino the but the actor then not not as a rapper uh, yeah 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 and he did a, a thing with rihanna and it's called guana island i think or guava island that's no, like a 15 minute short on uh i think you could see it on amazon prime um and um that guava island right that's yes. what you're talking about yes and oh, yeah. that no i have film, not seen this i'll put a link to it in the show notes so you guys can and check it's it actually out. cool it, because they they shot it on the uh, ari alexa lf if i'm not mistaken and i think they printed back on 16 mil at the lab so that's the thing that's wow. a cool thing with the lab because they always use 35 mil as the the printing uh, medium but you can't tell them look print it smaller within the neg so it's on 16 mil, for example, or 20 mil. Even formats don't, don't even exist because then yeah. by making it smaller on the neg and rescanning it, you're making the grain bigger. So it adds more grain. So you can play yeah. with all these things. And the, 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 I mean, look, it is a thing you have to test and try. It's not from the get-go a perfect thing, but it is one of the tools that as a DP or whatever you're doing, uh, you can play with. And I think it's, um, it's a very cool uh, tool. It's a very small lab, and and uh, I uh, they go. So it's a uh, it's a good technique. That is really cool. I love that. Um, and I'll put a link to that um, guava. What is it? Oh, what we just said it a second. Guava Island. I'll put that a yes. link to that in the show notes so you guys can check it out. So just a couple of things I want to talk about before we wrap up. <clears throat> a few minutes ago, you mentioned that shooting digitally results in usually. Um, a lot or not digital, um, but shooting in high resolutions can result in a really super, super sharp image. You were mm. shooting digitally here. So mm. are you putting any filtration on your lenses? Are you hazing the spaces? What are you doing to get rid of that digital kind of edge to it? Um, I'll be very frank to you. I've never, ever, ever, ever used any filtration in front of my lens. Really? I, I hate it. I think it's cheap and it's a music video technique. So ah. I, I, I think if the, the lens has to be your storyteller and it's a cheap way or cheap thing to say, but the lens choices and the lens, whatever it is, like old lens, new lens, uh, whatever it is, a zoom primes, anamorphic, spherical, that's a storytelling tool. It's not just a cool thing to use. Um, I was always a big fan of, of anamorphics until digital came in because then it just became a music video item and it's just, it, it, it's stupid, but it lost its storytelling value to me. Um, I, I, I take pride and look, it's my vision. I'm not saying that's how it has to be or whatever. I take pride in uh, like Itonia and Corella, for example, and almost anything that I've shot in the last 10, 12 years have been shot on a 29 spherical and a 40 mil spherical lens. I don't mm. like to use wide angle, like crazy wide angles or super long lenses. Although I'm a big fan of, let's say, Lantimos, the favorite crazy wide angle fisheye lenses or whatever it is. Um, 
I love the films. I think everything makes it that it's actually a real world that you believe in. It really, really works. Uh, but in general, I really like the idea that I'm not in the way of acting. I'm not in the way of storytelling. I'm just one layer of the storytelling. And it's a stupid thing to say. I've, I've said it a couple of times in the past. Complexity is layers of simplicity. So don't add your sauce of lighting, of colors, of crazy lenses or whatever. You're just hiding the fact that there's nothing to show. There's nothing to tell. Your, your script, your actor's your production design, your wardrobe, that's the look of the film. Don't make the lens the look of the film because that's stupid. No one cares about, look at the crazy lenses or filters that I have because you know what? Who cares? You're just looking at flesh. You're not looking at performance. You're not looking at sets. You're not looking at anything. Um, it's I mean, that's my opinion. I'm not saying that's the opinion. It's just how I see things. So in terms of uh, hazing, I mean, like hazing, it's a different thing. If, if, if that's what's needed, I'll do it or whatever. In general, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of it. Uh, if, if, if it has its, its, its value or whatever to accentuate specific things, why not? It's one of the tools that we have in the bag. Uh, but I try to not make the photography a gimmick or I, I try to keep things, things pretty simple, actually. And, um, I, I don't think, uh, my lens flare should be one of the actors in the set or on, on in the sequence. Mm. So there you go. Well, we, we had a question on Instagram from John Wyman asking what focal lengths did you use on Coel? And it sounds like, uh, did you That's stay so true wrong. to that, that system of yours? So what yeah, were yeah, those? Yeah, again? Yeah. So, um, on a super 35 sensor, because now you have to speak like that, uh, it would be a 29 mil at 29. It's because I'm using Leica and they have the 29, uh, I remember massive primes, I think were 27, then that, that would be the number that I would be using. Um, and then the 40 mil. So now it's like a 29 and a 40 mil. I never ever use a 50 mil. It doesn't work for me. Don't ask me why it's just the ratios or whatever. It's too tight. It's too close. Uh, hmm. a 40 mil for me is, is what I like, but it's just my, how my eyes work. Um, I'm not saying I'm not using any other lenses that's not true but they will be the workhorses for like probably 90 percent of the film hmm. no, that's interesting <laughs> you got a couple and of then other the equivalent the equivalent on 65 which in your to 65 honest, too well okay yes. so yeah let's talk about that then because are you changing are you changing your lens choices when you're shooting 65 of course you you have to use the equivalent so i'm i think it's I, i'm because the, uh, on Corella, the, the 65s were the Talias. Uh, I'm thinking we had a 55 and a 65 or 75. I can't really remember precisely the number, to be honest. But it's just a bit longer because the, 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 the yeah, the equivalent. So. Um, we got a question from Max Wood on Instagram. I just ah. feel like Max, I think Max is just looking for a plug because his question was, <laughs> what was it like working with VFX supervisor Max Wood? <laughs> so here's your plug, well, Max. Thanks for listening. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Um, um, uh, what uh, was it like the, working with visual effects? I mean, uh, clearly there are some, I mean, some, the dogs are visual effects at times. Uh, you have that, that kind of fire scene and then the, the dress mm. that, that white cloak that kind of goes up. I mean, I'm sure there are tons of visual effects in this, mm. but it doesn't feel like a visual effects film. You know what I mean? It feels very, very natural. Well, that that's really uh, a very big thing that Craig tried to have on, on like, that translated in sh shooting as much as we could on real locations, although we obviously had sets built. Uh, but I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I might be guessing now, I think it's like, 50-50 or 60-40, like 60 relocations and 40% set builds or 50 feet, something like that, which huh. according to the people at Disney was pretty uh, high number for relocation. So, oh, uh, yeah. So We've had a we, lot we, of the DPs from these Disney remakes and like they're telling us that almost everything is set work. So it's, no, that's no. cool to so hear. We, we, we really tried to push as much as we could, as maximum as we could outside to, to give it a real feel because you have to remember that story, that's, no one is flying. No one is on a, uh, like doing magic tricks or, or disappears and poof and puff. And this is 
more or less a heightened but real world. And I think by shooting it like that, that really gave us that that feel and look. And I'm happy you notice it. Uh, and it's true. So the in that sense, the the the, the VFX had to be blending even more, maybe because it's a lot of it is really sh- real shot stages and everything. And and uh, so and Max was the visual uh, VFX supervisor on this film. So there you go. So he was the key member on, on of the team. And I must say, I love working with Max. So there you go, Max. I'm happy you're uh, even listening <laughs> with us. Um, but it's for me the first time also that I had such a big crew in the backstage working on the day-to-day shooting, uh, like being there. But Max was really just there. like, And, and it's really important for me. Craig is really asking for v- VFX to be helping the main unit we're not at. We're not a slave of VFX. We're not helping them. They're helping us. And I know it sounds cheesy, but so many times you have to shoot things in ways you don't want to because if not, something might happen badly afterwards. And you're like, ah, all right, we'll shoot it in a way that we don't want to shoot it because it feels very unorganic or it's not the style of the film, whatever. And and the cool thing with Max. Um, was that he allowed us to shoot like we wanted. And, uh, but he was very much like giving us all the options that we wanted. And, and, and yeah, so only kudos to him. The last thing in Max, congratulations on getting yourself inserted into the episode. I love that hustle. And we would love to talk to visual effects supervisors. So reach out to us. There you, there go. you go. Now, Cruella isn't necessarily a remake the way that we've seen like the Lion King remake and the Aladdin remake and, and all of that. It's not really a remake, but it is a story that has uh, that has a legacy. I mean, there was an animated um, 101 Dalmatians. There was the Glenn Close 101 Dalmatians. So uh, were these films inspirations for you? No, that's the thing. We, we Craig and I, and, and maybe also the other people in the crew, but we, we never watched the, the, the previous ones because we didn't felt like this was something we wanted to tag on to or whatever. Actually... For me, one of the big reasons to accept the movie, except for being to work with Craig again, was the fact that it was uh, an origin story, which gave us the freedom to break free of what was already done in the past. Um, and so very consciously, I didn't see the, the previous films and Craig, I know, also didn't do it. But that's not because we didn't like them or whatever. It's just because we didn't want to be influenced by it and we just wanted to have the freedom and, and a creative um, yeah, freedom to 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 just go and create our own new movie, and and I don't think the it, it wasn't a sexy idea to know oh we're just doing something that has already been done. That was never the the, the get go. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is this idea of filming fashion. So much fashion in this movie. There are so many times where you just need to like show the dress, show the gown, show the fashion, show the energy mm. of it all. Does it change the way you film at all? Like it, when you know that the star is the talent, certainly, but the clothing. Mm. Uh, n- to be honest, no, but that's just a big, nice, uh, big up to uh, Jenny Bevins, who did the costume design. Uh, she did crazy, amazing good work in the sense that she didn't have a lot of time to prep all the gazillion outfit that this film has uh, and it's gazillion outfits in very different directions because you have got the Baroness world, which has a specific way. And then you have Cruella's uh, world, which is very different. And it was creatively very, very challenging. And, and there was gazillion meetings about it, how to get it right and, and blah, blah, blah. Because I think shooting fashion in general on film is a very different thing than the real fashion out there because fashion in the real world is very experimental, crazy weird shit. Doesn't always photograph really nicely. So yeah. uh, Jennifer had to make up a world where it's film fashion, which is a blend of the, let's say, the typical film looks that we know, but had a fashion feel to it, but was still something that could photograph well. And that's the thing, like everything that she did, every costume, every outfit was just, uh, easy to shoot because she understands obviously way better than I do uh, because of her experiences 
uh, how to make these dresses pop up in an organic and natural way. And also, I mean, look, the, 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 that, that's a cool thing with these films. Like everything is like the art department, the wardrobe department, the costume, the makeup, the photography, everything has to work together because if not, it's just a gigantic mismatch or, uh, of, 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 of elements. And, and I'm, I, I hope, I think it worked really well. And we, let's say the crowd and the, 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 the viewers will tell us if it actually works or not, but I think um, it works really well. I lied. I know I told you one last question, but I just have one more itty bitty one that I want to talk about. It's your experience working with Emma Stone and Emma Thompson on this film. You had lots of time with them, so much to play with. Great actresses for sure. But, um, you know, this must have been a really good experience for you. And I just have to know what it's like working with them. Well, for me, it was uh, amazing and very easy uh, because they're so professional. And, and, and I mean, the talent that they have and, and, and also like how you think they are in, in on set or in real. That's how I perceive them. Like they're super gentle, super fun people to work with. And, and they're very natural. They don't are someone else in front of the camera, like doing an interview and then sh- shut that person off. And then they're just someone else that that's at, not at all the case. No, they're, they're amazing to work, super talented. And to be honest, I really felt, and I really mean it, I really felt working with Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, it's a joy, and it was like a, a, a free, more or less, masterclass every day of acting. Honestly, it was cool, and, and the synergy that they had also with Craig was just, we're having fun, and let's, let's see how we can amp up the game of, of these characters and, and the energy between them, and I really think... And, and I hope that you can see it, that they, I mean, the acting is really, really good. It, it doesn't feel like a, a, a film that they had to do, or it's just a money thing or whatever. It, it, I think that they really played a high game and, 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 and I'm super happy with it. I think so too. It really was a joy to watch. It's called Cruella. It's in theaters. It's on Disney plus it's everywhere. There's no excuse to not see this film. And uh, I strongly suggest you do. And I'm kind of have a feeling that most of you listening and watching right now have seen it and uh, absolutely loved it. So Nicholas Karakatsanis, thank you so much for coming on the Go Creative Show and talking to us about your experiences. It was uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and I'd love to have you back. Uh, same for me. Let's see what the next film becomes. All right, I want to thank Nicholas Karakitsanis, the director of photography for Cruella, for coming on the show and talking to us all about his experience on the film. Let us know what you think of the show. Definitely give us some feedback because we really listen to all that feedback. And what did you learn? What did you love? Who do you want on the show? We want to know. So find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, Check out our content and also just let us know what you think of the show. Send us some feedback. I also want to thank Connor Crosby for producing the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com and Dave Siegel at uh, at siegelsound.com. Dave Siegel, siegelsound.com. He mixes and masters and makes the show sound so great. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, your favorite podcast app, search Go Creative Show, hit subscribe, and you will never miss an episode. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. Of course, you can learn more about me and what I'm doing uh, with my company, BC Media Productions. Over at Instagram and Twitter, find me at Ben Consoli, at B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.